Brazen Hearts, Fresh on Sticks. Chapter 5, Werewolves at Rico's Throat. Humans, all eyes forward. Okay, any of you who have eyes and consciousness, I guess, eyes forward. Okay, I'm Rico, and I'll be prepping and flaying you today. Aunt Sadie recommends I continue spilling my secrets to you as a therapeutic sounding board. Exactly, like a sounding board that doesn't come back at me with any intelligible sounds. You haven't heard of what went down with Josie, have you? Okay, so she got, um, on the last outing, she was picking out select viands from the village we raided. This pack of werewolves took off with her. Um, everybody knows our cousin Nadia put them up to it. So basically there was an inquiry at a clan meeting. Uh, Nadia felt like she had enough backing from someone. I'm assuming she got support from one of the elders, someone with, with weight to throw around. Because uh, she came out and admitted she set up Josie to be taken down by the werewolves. Anyway, the, the elders weren't having it. Nadia looked around like, now's the time when I call in my cards. Well, whoever her cards were, they didn't speak up. I can't even guess. Lord only knows which one of those backstabbers told her they had her back. But they failed her right then. Killing one of your clan is a crime when you don't have support from enough relatives afterwards. But since Nadia hadn't murdered Josie outright, they ruled that it would be a trial by ordeal for Josie. If Josie died, it meant she was weak and deserved it. If she pulled through somehow, then it would prove she was worth keeping in the clan. There'd be no interference from the elders of clan Skek The ironic thing was that the clan meeting was called because of Nadia's drama with Josie, and then after that ruling came down, somebody from the East Side faction noticed that the West Siders were underrepresented. They huddled for a minute and uh, made a motion to rename the clan Frosh Mouse Creek. Um, the Skeks all screamed and hollered, and they tried to filibuster, and they called Point of Order a bunch of times. They even sent a couple of kids to fetch a stretcher and pull Erlenmeyer out of bed so they could balance out their side of the vote, but they couldn't wake him up. So it finally passed. They've been pushing it for years to change the name, so now we're Clan Frosh Mouse Creek. All because of this junk with Nadia. Go figure. So they ruled that no elders could uh, interfere to help or hinder Josie, but I'm not an elder. Thank God. So I took it on myself to rescue her. Two nights ago, I went back to the ruins of the village where she was taken. Werewolves aren't too particular about covering their tracks, so that part was easy. But you have to remember when their tracks come to a stop and suddenly you find smaller human tracks, it might look like they had a battle or a, they met up with a party of humans, but it's just the changeover. You leave the wolfy tracks behind and follow the human tracks away from that spot. They're not always humans, though. I'm, I mean, sometimes you run across goblins who change into wolves, or one time I saw this bear who had been bitten by a werewolf. Every time the moon came out, he'd just get uglier and like 20% hairier, and he'd bark once in a while. So anyway, these were, these were humanoids, a couple of elves and a human, and they aren't careful about covering their tracks when they're in wolf form. I picked up the trail pretty easy. They, they'd gone to a stronger human settlement nearby, Corndale. We've had a shaky truce with them for a few years, not out of kind-heartedness, just too many stalemate battles. They're not decisively stronger than the goblin clans, and we're not significantly stronger than them, so... Getting into the Corndale was the hard part. They don't let greenskins into their town, so I watched the city gate from a safe distance, and they were having some kind of carnival. Humans from the outlying villages were streaming into town wearing costumes and honking on ritual noisemakers. I walked up behind a wagon that was entering the gate and put the hood of my cloak over my head. 
but actually I felt more conspicuous that way, so I just left it down. One of the guards told me, nice work on the mask, man. A parade of masked people made its way down the main thoroughfare. Humans rich with treasures stood on balconies lining the street. They happily bartered for glimpses of the hidden parts of commoners swarming in the streets below. Apparently humans consider naked armpits very titillating. Why am I telling you this? So their attention was elsewhere, and I was able to pass through without much concern. Uh, by dawn, I had tracked the werewolves around muddy side streets to this rug weaver's shop. I found a big couple of good-sized buildings. Uh, it's a good-sized town, a couple thousand humans, a lot of wooden buildings back-to-back. -back. I was afraid it might be hard getting out with Josie later. So I push into this weaver's shop and pull my knife. It had a wooden floor, so I couldn't tell where they went from that room. I couldn't track them. But I see rugs all over, lined up and leaning against the walls. There's this massive loom with a half-finished piece on it. Uh, bales of cotton or wool or whatever. In the middle of the floor is a worn rug. I push it out of the way and there's this trap door in the middle of the floor. Uh, before I could lift the trap door, there's a human and three werewolves on me. So I'm stabbing, slashing, stabbing. Apparently that thing about the silver is true. You, you can stab them all you want. If your weapon isn't silver, it just slides off their hides. So picture this. I got werewolf, one werewolf gripping my head. Another one hangs onto my legs and stretches me out across the trap door. They don't even bother to hold my arms because I'm just pawing at them, stabbing them, and the blade isn't doing anything. The human was shirtless. I'm guessing he was another werewolf and he just decided not to transform or maybe he couldn't. I don't understand how it works exactly. He's pulling on my cloak. I wish I would have thought of something sarcastic to say. He wasn't accomplishing anything. The third werewolf is moving in and he's yawning his mouth wide open to eat my neck. That's why they had me by the head and the feet. So I, so I clamp my hands around my neck. I cut my cheek with that stupid knife. This third guy grabs my pinkies and twists my hands away so my neck is bare. And he leans down to rip it open. Hey, I didn't tell you about Beretta, did I? Okay, I'm not sure how he feels about me. We've hung out a few times, but I totally feel like I've found the one. Beretta's about my age. He's 94. So, you know, three, no three years difference between us. So that's cool. He's funny. Um, he's got the most gorgeous green eyes. Long eyelashes and eyebrows that don't stop. Because he's covered with fur on his face and body, so you can't really tell where the eyebrows stop and the rest of him begins. I couldn't say if he's got a particularly good body, because I've never judged a quadruped before. But uh, I, still can't, uh, I still can't pronounce the name of his race in his language. Basically, he's like a carnivorous alpaca with fangs. A really furry llama. The way we met was I was coming through the courtyard on the west side of the mall... I saw this reptilian humanoid. Are, are troglodytes reptiles or amphibians? I don't know. One of those cold-blooded things. I see this troglodyte leading a pack animal. Weirdest looking pack animal you ever saw. Its head was higher than mine, but it wasn't as tall as a horse or a burrow at the shoulder. I mean, it only came up a little higher than a sheep at the shoulder, but it had this long neck that stretched straight up. It's not like leaned forward like a horse's neck. The head looks like a shaggy camel. It has that kind of split running up the middle of its top lip to its nose, kind of like a rabbit. It has long strands of hair that hang almost to the ground in cream-colored dreadlocks. The troglodyte stops me and asks where he can find a blacksmith. 
I start describing the way around the mall, uh, past the slaver's pits, and before I finish one sentence, he starts covering his eyes with his webbed fingers, and he's making this hissing, whining sound. I said, what, what? Then the pack animal says, hush, Curtis, let the nice goblin finish, and I'll repeat the directions to you as we go. He said, sorry about that, Curtis has only been above ground a few months. He has a hard time following goblin language. I had a few minutes to kill, so instead of describing it to them, I walked with him around the mall, past the slaver's pits, and over to the blacksmith. We got talking, uh, not the troglodyte, but me and the quadruped. I don't remember how we got around to politics, but I told him I was a sharksist. It's not so much that sharks had great solutions to political problems. I mean, look at how the hill giants have set up their totalitarian society, and they claim it's sharksist. But I think he was right in diagnosing problems with the economy and, and our post-feudal political system. It goes against tradition to say this, but there's no reason that some goblins should hoard their wealth and other goblins should starve. If we shared our resources, there's no reason that any goblin should go without human flesh for one day. There are plenty of humans and lesser races. just doesn't seem fair not to distribute them fairly, you know? And the quadruped nodded. He said he leaned more towards anarcho-syndicalism. I'm not sure what that is. We didn't have time to talk more because we were at the blacksmith's shop by then. He told me his name was Beretta. I saw them at a tavern later on and we had a few drinks together. Curtis didn't have any drinks, he just paid for a bath and submerged himself for a while. But Beretta and I got a chance to talk. He talked about this hobgoblin they're working for, Sea Hag or Sar Seer Gah, I don't know, whatever. He'd like to reach a higher position than just Minion, but for now the pay is good. This teenage troll torqued on my shoulder and told me, Get your Rasta pony out of the bar and back in the stables. For a troll, he was a pipsqueak, but that's still pretty big, so I wasn't, I wasn't sure I could take him. Beretta made this cooing sound like, whoop, whoop, and everybody in the tavern looked at him. He locked eyes with the troll and said, the sinews of your mother stick between my teeth. And then he curled his lips back. Something really was stuck in his teeth. He chattered his fangs a little, and the troll backed away. So anyhow, did I tell you about rescuing Josie? Oh, the werewolves, right. Damn, they're sounding the war drums and the war xylophones. Are those war clarinets? I'm gonna have to leave it here. It's another clan battle in the courtyard. Personally, I don't have a problem with renaming it Frosh Mouse Creek, but if I don't get out there, one of the West Side Elders is gonna pull strings and get me laid off or something. We'll talk later, okay? been listening to Werewolves at Rico's Throat, Chapter 5 of Brazen Hearts Fresh on Sticks, by Rob Northrup, recorded May 14, 2006. If you like this story, you'll want to get Dungeons and Day Jobs, my collection of short stories, which you can order on my website, evilbobdayjob.tripod.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast. That address again is evilbobdayjob.tripod.com. Until next time, keep keeping it fresh. And are you done with that stick? P.S. That uh, war drums and war xylophones music was from The Marionettes by Two Star Symphony, which I got off of uh, Podshow, Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com.